This episode was recorded in September of 2023. Some personal updates and cultural references may be out of date, but the history hasn't changed and our humor, as you know, is timeless. Enjoy. This is Hashtag History episode 133. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And I'm so excited for this week's episode because since you and I are both old as dirt, we were actually around for this historical event. Mm -hmm. Although, Mm -hmm. as we did just discuss off air, I think I remember it better than you do. Clearly, I because I mean, like, we'll talk about it, but I don't. (laughs) I mean, like, I know it happened, but I don't remember stockpiling food or any of that. Okay. And and. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll we'll talk as we go along. Um we were both around for it, but actually I kind of appreciate that it wasn't like this monumental historical moment for you because that is something we're going to touch on a lot. Okay. In this episode is like the severity. But was it actually as bad as it was purported to be? Yeah. We'll find out. Okay. I mean, we know, but we'll find out. <laughs> this week we are discussing the Y2K bug and this is the point where all of our listeners under the age of like 25 are kind of like, "Huh, what?" Mm-hmm. And where all of our listeners over the age of 25 start nodding along while maybe eating from a can of beans that they've had stored in their pantry for the last 2 plus decades. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Just kidding. Kind of. (laughs) The Y2K bug, also known as the Y2K problem, or simply just Y2K, Uh refers to a historical incident that never really happened, at least not to the degree that it was proposed that it would. Mm -hmm. As a recent survey reports, some 46% of people believed that when the year changed from 1999 to 2000, all hell would break loose. This was because it was believed that particular computer programs that only allowed for two-year digits, so for example, simply inputting 99 as opposed to 1999, would instantly stop working when the date descended to 00 at the turn of the year. Just what a stupid thing to be worried about. (laughs) I mean, yeah, what a stupid thing to be worried about. Fair, Mm. in some instances, which we will discuss, certainly not to the degree that it was... That it was hyped up to uh-huh. be mm-hmm. uh-huh. so you know what, what the fear was was that these computers would not be able to distinguish between the year 2000 and the year 1900 when mm-hmm. those two digits changed to zero zero yeah and these computer programs they went beyond just not being able to operate your word perfect document <laughs> yeah <laughs> millennial joke that maybe <laughs> only half our audience understands no these computer programs extended to airline reservations Banking software, utilities, medical equipment. NASDAQ. N- yes. Yeah. To- exactly. The stocks, infrastructure, power plants, government programs, nuclear weapon controls, and more. Should all hell break loose, we were looking at a global disaster that would cost somewhere between 300 and $600 billion to remedy. All while operating without those infrastructures in place, if it actually happened. Exactly. The uncertainty and lack of understanding surrounding Y2K caused many to view it as some sort of apocalypse Mm -hmm. leading to the stocking up of food, water, medicine, and guns, of course. Obviously. Obviously. In fact, in my research, I was amazed at how many articles were written in the years following Y2K. So, you know, articles that were written in like 2001 or 2002 about what to do with all of the Y2K food you stocked up on. Is that a problem? Eat it. (laughs) 
like trying to come up with recipes for all of the mm. uh, Campbell soup cans that were taking up real estate in your garage. Let's eat some Campbell soup. <laughs> but don't, don't you want to mix it with? Ew, I almost oh said. like celery soup and then mix it with the, like make a casserole. Yeah, yeah, something like that. You know, when you have seven thousand of them, it's like you can only eat the same thing so many times. That's true. Got to shake it up every now and then. Go from the Campbell soup to the can of beans. There go you back go. And forth. Go back and forth. Throw a granola bar in there every now and then, or some set. squirt soda. I know that that's what my family Squirts had a lot of. Soda. <laughs> my God. As we all know now, in hindsight, nothing particularly noteworthy occurred as the world rang in the year 2000. Sure, some small businesses experienced some computer programming issues, but did airlines and banks come crashing down? No. Did a nuclear war begin? No. Whether this is due to the efforts that have been put into place leading up to the event to resolve potential issues, mm-hmm. such as President Bill Clinton's Year 2000 Information and Readiness Disclosure Act, or if the whole Y2K bug was just a big hoax, is still debated to and this day. Let's be honest, it's probably a bag of both. As history always is. Yeah. I cannot wait to get into all of this today. We will be talking about all things computer programming. Yay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) What exactly Y2K was, how the world responded to this potential threat, and what the world has looked like since. I also think our listeners can expect some nostalgia from the two of us as we will we will be discussing what really was probably my favorite time period thus far the late 1990s early 2000s and maybe i'll share a bit about the embarrassingly thin eyebrows and gelled back hair that i was sporting at the time yeah in fact this uh makes me think of an experience an encounter if you will that i just had yesterday i was at the gas station i had to unfortunately go inside that's a long story i hate when you have to actually go inside and talk to the clerk long story but i go in and the dude was he's like a younger guy he's wearing a puka shell necklace yeah he was and i said um oh i love your necklace are those back in style and he looks at me he says yeah i think like they used to wear them in like the early 2000s or something yeah we did sir we did, I, I, I was like, oh, really? They did? Oh, interesting. They did? Cool. Yes. That was we're, my experience yesterday. Um, we're aware. In fact, I was wearing a puka shell necklace in that picture that I took and sent to Daniel Radcliffe when the first Harry Potter movie came out, yep. as we have also discussed on this podcast. So puka shell necklaces, we're headed back to that time era, uh-huh. although apparently we are also in it now. Hair wraps are probably coming back. Hair wraps, my God. What a time. Wow. What a time. What a time to be alive. Before we dig into all of that, it looks like we have something else here in front of us to dig into. So shall we? Aside from the salami and cheese we're eating. (laughs) And the half of (laughs) zucchini bread loaf. (laughs) We have some pink drinks. So let's do it. Yes. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History the podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike, where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Weirder and weirder. <laughs> All right. This week's cocktail was sponsored by Bethany Riley, who said, I've been binge listening to y'all's podcast uh-huh. for about a year. Oh. I'm such a huge fan and I love listening to y'all's humor. 
as well as information. Your podcast is my go-to textbook to regurgitate historical facts. Oh, Yes, proud of y'all for starting to like Jim. <laughs> Thank you, Bethany. Oh. Um, you know, say that last bit was in reference to Leah because I still am not a fan. Yeah, I literally wrote down, I know I don't speak for Rachel when I say this, <laughs> but I am actually now a full-fledged gin lover. Like I actually took a sip of the, the fancy gin in one of our past episodes mm-hmm. that we just had. I just was sipping on it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this is sippable it's it's not the greatest thing in the world but it's doable it's sippable and i barely tolerated it mixed with several other liquids um but thank you so much (laughs) bethany that is so sweet i'm so glad that you're enjoying the show and thank you for sponsoring a cocktail yeah and despite all that i i didn't actually choose gin for this week's cocktail that's right i did this for rachel thank you (laughs) (laughs) not for bethany no (laughs) but thank you bethany (laughs) so when i think y2k and cocktails the absolute first thing that popped into my head was sex in the city and cosmopolitan i love it yeah so now most of us know that a traditional cosmopolitan cocktail contains vodka lime juice maybe some triple sec and cranberry juice Mm -hmm. And if you want to go ahead and just sip one of those while you listen along, I have no judgment. But I originally did want to use that very fancy of bison grass vodka that I had was planning on purchasing. Uh, we talked about it last episode. To, to make it a little more special. Yeah. But obviously that did not come to fruition. No, so I, if anybody has their hands on some bison grass vodka... Try it in a Cosmopolitan and tell me what you think. I would love to hear what you think. We discussed in last episode that we desperately tried to get it. Um, Leah searched the greater part of the state of California for it <laughs> and um, and was unable to locate it. Yeah. So I, w- I call this my little spin on it. It's the Y2 Cosmo. Oh, that's cute. Did you come up with that? Yeah. Y2 Cosmo. I love yeah. it. Cosmo with a K? Well, sure. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> Now, the only difference between a traditional cosmopolitan, um, other than obviously planning to add the bites and grass vodka, is also to add some orange bitters to it. Okay. So I did that. Wonderful. So that's really the only addition to just vodka, triple sec, cranberry juice, lime juice, couple shakes of orange bitters. Well, I haven't even had a Cosmo in ever. I don't know that I ever have. I don't know that I have ever ever either. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. Strong. Like the last swallow was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, that's the thing. They're in tiny little um, uh-huh. uh, martini glasses, but they pack they a do, punch. They pack a punch and they do the trick quick. Yeah. Same with like lemon, lemon drops and mm. all those type, like any kind of martini type drink, I feel like is definitely. Yeah. It's good. I can't compare it to other Cosmos because as I just mentioned, I don't know that, I really don't know that I've ever really even had one. Yeah. Um, I, I think for classics sake, mm-hmm. I have to put it at least at a seven. Yeah. This is, uh, for me, I could drink a lot of these. I could too. Seven. Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I would love to go get one of these. Mm-hmm. Sit at a bar with my leg crossed and smoking a cigarette. Fake cigarette. A fake cigarette. I would love it. I would love it. A little candy cigarette. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I could see it. I could see us doing that. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Shady Lady, downtown Sacramento. Oh my God, yes. And a Cosmo. That's right next to Ace of Spades. You should get a Cosmo. Okay. You should. And just send me a picture. Took a lot of convincing, but okay. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm so glad that we had one of those on the podcast. I can't believe we're season 14 and we never had a Cosmo. I know. Right? Right. No, we definitely haven't okay. because we would have had this conversation before. Yeah. It was good. Thank you. Sweet. No 
problem. Okay. So where did the Y2K problem all begin? It actually began several years before the year 2000 with some mentions of concern dating all the way back to the 80s. Every time you say year 2000, I, I want to sing the Jonas Brothers. Year 2000. 3,000. No, 3,000. Not much has changed, but we live underwater. And your great, great, great granddaughter is doing fine. Doing fine. <laughs> Red dress. <laughs> which, <laughs> you have to always throw oh, that which in. Which, by the way. Which, by the way, I'm as going, of the date of this recording. I'm going to the another yeah. another Jonas Brothers concert with Rachel's sister. You are going with my sister. You're not coming. I'm not coming. I have newborn twin daughters. Yeah. And the idea of going anywhere after 7 p.m. Um, On a Monday night. Part- well, honestly, for me, it's my full-time job right now. So That's true. Is it Saturday any different than Monday? No, it's not, right. actually. But... Yeah, it just concerts are out of the picture for me for a little while. I understand that. Yeah. Concerts are right on the for, uh, right on <laughs> the mean, edge like, for me. To be fair, before I got pregnant, concerts were yeah, almost like out of the a picture. Once in a while type deal. <laughs> except I'm except, going to concerts three Mondays in a row. Except for this month. This month is different. Yeah. Yes. What I was going to say, not that you're going to the Joe Bros. I was going to say, as of the date of this recording, mm-hmm. are we Team Joe or are we Team oh. Sophie? I can't say yet. I can't say yet either until more information comes to fruition until my sources until my sources have sources (laughs) until my sources have sourced sources sources i will not be sharing my stance correct yes (laughs) i have initial thoughts but i won't share them in case they don't age well You don't want that recorded. That's exactly, exactly what I was going to say. I don't want to send that out there and then, you know, <laughs> regret that later. We don't want to get canceled. Exactly. <laughs> I say don't age well. <laughs> we are not taking sides. We are taking sides, but we are not publicly taking sides. Right. Until the rest of the public has taken a side. Exactly. In which case, we will also take that same side. <laughs> until Regardless we all... of what our actual feelings are. <laughs> until we all, as a collective group, learn that we took the wrong side. Right. 10 years down the line, everyone's going to be like, oh, there's going to be a documentary about how we all took the wrong side. Yeah. Which is why we won't be sharing what side. Yeah. Until we're all on the side. We're going to have no idea five years from now what we're even talking about. Who are Joe and Sophie? Yeah. Who even knows? You don't need to. Literally doesn't matter. (laughs) All right. The very first documented mention of the Y2K problem came from an online bulletin board post on a site called Usenet. This post was made on January 18th, 1985 by a man named Spencer Bowles, who wrote, quote, I have a friend that raised an interesting question that I immediately tried to prove wrong. Mm -hmm. He is a programmer and has this notion that when we reach the year 2000, computers will not accept the new date. Will the computers assume that it is 1900 or will it even cause a problem? Unquote. Based on this bulletin board post, we know that the Y2K concept began circulating in at least, if not before, the mid-1980s. Right. It would be more than 10 years later that this conversation would appear in an official publication, the Boston Globe. I actually have a picture of an excerpt of the article for you to check out and read, Leah. So this was published on June 23rd, 1996. I'm hoping you can read up to... Wow. Can you read that? I can. Oh, can you? I was being sarcastic. I'm wearing contacts that increase my vision by negative 5%. So (laughs) So clearly you can see fine. However it works, I don't know. Century Mark is system downer. Computer programmers and managers the world over are seeing signs that the computer crisis expected at the beginning of the year 2000 is already underway. Oh, snap. 
At some car rental companies, for example, where a driver's license expiring in 2000 is entered at 00, the computers concluded such licenses had expired 96 years ago and denied the rentals. (laughs) Clerks were forced to type in 99 instead of 00, fooling the system by giving it false data. I was wondering if you were going to say data or data. I knew you were. I was like, which way am I going? I don't know. I, I literally, that was my main panic. concern. I, 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 you looked at me with panic before you said D-A-T-A. Yeah. How, how would you say it? I don't know. It, I depends, think it depends, depends on the, the context. context. Wow, look at us. <laughs> okay. It goes on to say, and problems like this will mount over the next three and a half years. Computer specialists say as the day of reckoning, January 1st, 2000, draws near. Before you complete this article, yes. reading it, can we talk about... The fact that in the late 1990s, there were computer specialists, that that was a thing that you had like four-year-olds are computer specialists nowadays. Yeah. I, I go to my nieces to say like, how does my phone yeah. do this? How do I do? How, how do how I fix this? How did you do the thing that you did on Instagram? Uh-huh. I mean, there are people that literally go to school. I, I'm sorry. I'm not making fun <laughs> of people that like IT people. I'm not. I'm, I feel like computer specialists at that time is very different than what they are now. Absolutely. That's, I should clarify that that's what I mean. I, did, I wasn't thinking you meant that. I because just, I would say that I'm, by these standards, probably also a computer specialist. Oh, yeah. Yes. I can, in fact, convert a Word document to a PDF. So yeah. I did also do, what What was the code? HTML. Oh, yeah, for your MySpace. For my MySpace Whoa. page. That, that is expert level. I was a programmer. I was a, <laughs> you were an I, actual I was programmer. almost a hacker. <laughs> really? All right. It goes on to say the problem is that most computers, especially older ones, older ones in the 90s, um, <laughs> store dates using only two digits for the year, such as 96 for the present year. When that year becomes 00, zero things go awry. Ooh, snap. This was but one article on the topic written by David L. Chandler. So as you can see, this began to be a topic of great concern at this point. Most people aren't interested in just one topic. Don't settle for a podcast about just one subject. That rhymed. Greetings. We're technically a conversation, a podcast for curious people by curious people. On our podcast, we do things just a little bit different. Every week, we share a new topic, and the other hosts have no idea what the topic will be. Our topics are all over the place, from light and funny to dark and sometimes spooky. We've covered everything from true crime, historical events and people, the supernatural and the occult. I like that. Urban legends and folklore. My favorite. No matter what we cover, we try to make the episodes interesting and funny. Eh, eh, eh. Don't mean to be the bad guy, but our lawyer said we legally couldn't call our show funny. We have a lawyer. Let me tell you what I told our lawyer. Come here so I can show you how far I can legally stick my high-heeled boot up your... Check us out at technicallyaconversation.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Technically a conversation. We're like a lifestyle brand. Yeah. So... How did we get here? Why had programmers programmed computers with only two-digit years? Well, it all comes down to the money, honey. Of course. Mm-hmm. Back in the always. early always back in the early days of the computer age, data I almost said data <gasps> data st- data storage data storage was super expensive. Therefore, it made more financial sense to only use two-digit year values rather than four because it was not anticipated that technology and computers in particular, would grow at the rapid rate that they eventually did. I mean, of course, it was not assumed at the dawn of computers that we would all one day own tiny computers that we can put in our pockets and do everything from take a phone call to take a picture to play spider solitaire on. (laughs) 
programmers didn't really see the need to worry about a potential date issue that may or may not occur mere decades later. Alan Greenspan, an economic consultant and chairman of the Federal Reserve, was quoted as saying, quote, I'm one of those culprits of this problem. I used to write those programs back in the 60s and 70s and was so proud of the fact that I was able to squeeze a few elements of space by not having to put 19 before the year. Unquote. And I'm sure like, like, it's one of those things that why would they think of yeah. who you have to kind of think so far into the so future. So far into the future. And I feel like, um, um, of course, it started approaching and people started thinking about mm-hmm. it. But like in the 60s, like, yeah, yeah. Why would you be thinking about why that? would you be thinking about the year 2000? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I'm not thinking about if my phone, anything on my phone, like a software update is going to screw me up yeah. 10 years from now. Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense that they weren't considering these yeah, things. Yeah, that level of foresight is just like yeah, unnecessary. Unre- yeah, unnecessary unreasonable. and unreasonable. Yeah. Now, of course, we know that technology rules our lives today <laughs> and very much is not only used regularly, but it became an absolute necessity yeah. as the years ticked closer and closer to 2000. To give a few examples of the types of industries that use technology in their daily operations and the way in which a date discrepancy could result in a major failure, consider banks. Interest is calculated by a computer on a daily basis. If the computers used by banks were to interpret the year 2000 as the year 1900, interest rates could plummet by 100 years, which, I mean, in the case of the interest rate on my mortgage, appreciate that. Great. In the case I of only the Stokes, $2,000 on my house. <laughs> Done. I will pay that tomorrow. Would, would you like you. me to come in person or mail it in? Yeah. Um, so in some cases, wonderful. In other cases, oh my God. Yeah. Consider also airlines. If the computers used by airlines were to interpret the year as 1900 as opposed to 2000, what would happen to scheduled flights? Yeah. How many flights were there in 1900 compared to those in 2000? Zero. The answer is zero. The answer would be zero. Have you listened to Hindenburg? <laughs> Consider hospitals. If computers misinterpreted the year, it could mass mark drugs as outdated and unusable. Can I just in- yes. inter- interject for Please. one second? Some of these are very easily overcome. Yes. Like for the one you just gave. Yes. Okay. So we know the computer mass marked drugs is outdated. There's a human element to. Yes. I know. I'm not going to throw out a drug that just because a computer tells me yes. to. And we'll discuss that eventually in this episode yeah. that so many of the potential issues um, the the quote that is I'll, I'll quote it later. So the word that's used is annoyances. Yeah, these are annoyances. They're not catastrophic events. Yeah, and I think the uh, the difference is things that are automated or computer done. Mm-hmm. That's different. Obviously, a computer might do a task based on the year changing, whereas like that is literally just like okay, you mark a drug as outdated, and then I as a human being am like, no, it's not. Yes, you know, definitely. There's so a it's difference. an annoyance mm-hmm. that like the computer says don't use it, but if you just do a double check with your eyeballs, right, you're fine. Yeah, yes, I, I think that's a great point to bring up because how much of this is near catastrophic event and how much of it is a nuisance. Yeah, and I know that's obviously there are some here where there is mm-hmm. some concern. <laughs> but no, I think that was a great point to bring yeah. up. Those that are a bit more concerning, you know, you can consider power plants. Power plants use technology to manage things like radiation levels. Yeah, exactly. If, yeah, so if these calculations were off as a result of this Y2K bug, what risk would this pose to innocent citizens? Totally. 
consider military operations in an article dated June 21st, 1998, titled Military on Year 2000 Alert. Globe reporter Fred Kaplan wrote, quote, the Defense Department has about 25,000 computer systems, 2,803 of them classified as mission critical systems, meaning that without them, the military could no longer carry out a major mission, Mm -hmm. unquote. Which leads me to the final piece of technology that could be seriously disrupted by a Y2K computer malfunction. Mm -hmm. Perhaps most serious of all, consider nuclear systems. Yeah, that's the big boy. Yes. If all was to go to shit with the Y2K problem, there may be false positive readings within each nation's nuclear attack early warning systems, meaning that it could look like another country had started a nuclear war when they, in fact, had not. Yeah. It's certainly interesting to consider the potentially severe ramifications of what may sound like a simple computer bug. And for thousands of Americans, they took this potential issue very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. Assuming all hell was going to break loose when the clock struck January 1, 2000, thousands of Americans stocked up on things like toilet paper, (laughs) batteries, medications, electric generators, baby formula, water, and canned goods. Sounds familiar. Yes, very familiar. Think the year 2020, but with like a lot more cheese whiz. Obviously. Obviously. Yeah. Ron Williams, a business owner in El Paso, Texas, said that his store, Eagle Military, quote, sold more generators, packaged military meals, flashlights, solar radios, and other survival gear in 1999 than in any of the previous 20 years, Mm -hmm. unquote. A business based out of Fort Worth called Cheaper Than Dirt, Inc., reported sales of 10 million of ready-to-eat meals. Yeah. Much of this alarm came from the media directly, which released videos such as one titled How to Prepare Your Family for Y2K, in which fear was definitely stirred up as the 48 minute long video detailed how much food one needs to stock up on, how to cook said food, how to maintain personal hygiene in the case of an apocalypse. Um, I watched it. Paper wipes is the recommendation and just overall dramatic survival tactics. Right. The narrator even at one point poses the question, will you be sorry you didn't act in time? That feels like fear-mongering. Evangelists such as Jerry Falwell approached Y2K with a religious spin, saying, quote, I believe that Y2K may be God's instrument to shake this nation, humble this nation, awaken this nation, and from this nation start revival that spreads the face of the earth before the rapture of the church, unquote. That makes me think of that Parks and Rec episode where there's like that one. I haven't seen Parks and Rec. I know. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. Yeah. But anyways, there's like this um, local cult. I know that's different than like religion, but Mm -hmm. there's this local cult that like thinks the world, they thinks the world's going to end in like every five years, like has like their end of the world, Mm -hmm. whatever. And then every year they're just like, oh, we must have been wrong on the date. (laughs) (laughs) So awkward. (laughs) Definitely. Falwell even created his own video titled A Christian's Guide to the Millennium Bug that he sold for $28 each, the equivalent of $50 today. Thank you, inflation. Interesting that he thought that was a good time to be making money when the rapture was coming. Well, uh, what else would you capitalize on? <laughs> the rapture, of course. <laughs> but I mean, like he's going to heaven. So oh, I see your point. Why does he need to why make money? Need, why why not need... give it out for free? Why do you need money? You're, you're on to something. You're on to something here. <laughs> Not all religious figures took advantage of the Y2K scare. In fact, there's one quote that I really liked from a Reverend Steve Hewitt, who was the editor of the Christian Computing Magazine. Interesting. Yeah, that's a thing. (laughs) Or that was a thing. It's been bought out recently. Um, But Christian Computing Magazine said, quote, I'm at war to stop the panic. Windows 98 is not a spiritual issue, unquote. 
Appreciate that. Yeah. So why didn't the Y2K problem result in the man-made apocalypse many expected it to be? Francine Unuma details the answer at length in an article that she wrote for Time magazine titled, 20 years later, the Y2K bug seems like a joke because those behind the scenes took it seriously. Yeah. And I, I do apologize that I'm coming at it from a big joke standpoint because it's after the fact and I, I can. Yes. No, I would say I likewise am. Yeah. But what we're going to dig into now is like... People were really scared. People were really scared. And what I'm going to dig into now is there was so much work that went on behind the scenes that most of us don't even know about, which is why it didn't become the issue that yeah. this fear mongering implied it would. Yeah. Unbeknownst to many Americans, then President Bill Clinton signed the Year 2000 Information and Readiness Disclosure Act in 1998, which essentially provided limited liability protection to American companies that would share their best practices and procedures for mitigating the Y2K risk. The government worked alongside private companies to ensure they were ready should all hell break loose at the turn of the new year. Mm -hmm. As Stanford professor Paul Sappho said, quote, the Y2K crisis didn't happen precisely because people started preparing for it over a decade in advance. Yeah. And the general public who was busy stocking up on supplies and stuff didn't have a sense that the programmers were on the job, unquote. Mm -hmm. At the end of it all, some $300 billion was spent, half of which was spent here in the United States, to ultimately mitigate the Y2K problem. Because Americans were, and still are to this day, generally unaware of the work that went on behind the scenes to ensure there was not a Y2K catastrophe, Y2K has largely been considered a hoax, a fraud, or just an all-around joke. But it could have it could have happened if this work hadn't been done. Correct. In fact, of those numerous anonymous programmers whose work to mitigate Y2K went unrecognized, one programmer in particular recalled receiving, as a result for his part in resolving the Y2K issue at his particular company, lunch and a pen. Oh, Jesus. Thank yeah. you for saving the world. Here's lunch. Here's a sandwich. <laughs> Here's a sandwich. <laughs> and a pen with the company name on it. Oh, my God. That oh my we God. already had in the Did storage we... <laughs> closet. <laughs> it's like, could it at least have been a plaque? It was cost like in those days, like 20 bucks yeah. to make. Yeah. <laughs> While yes, the Y2K problem by and large was not a problem whatsoever. That isn't to say that the year 2000 rolled around with no issues at all. So here are just a few examples of the issues that arose on January 1st, 2000, specifically within the United States. Mm -hmm. For one, credit card companies such as MasterCard and Visa reported that a number of customers were charged multiple times for the same transactions as a result of the date issue. Oh. A video rental store in New York charged one customer with a late fee of $91,250 because the computers assumed that the tape was overdue by 100 years. Oh my gosh. Hilarious. That's really funny. That's hilarious. Yeah. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives could not register firearm dealers for nearly a week because of the computer uh, being unable to recognize the dates on applications. Shoot. Yeah, darn. Any Hotmail emails dated October 1999 or earlier showed that they had actually been sent in 2099. Mm -hmm. And finally, and of course, most importantly to me, Godiva Chocolatier <laughs> cash registers stopped working for roughly 24 hours. Ouch. That's rough. That's rough. There are a few other incidents internationally, such as in Italy, where some inmates' prison sentences were extended by 100 years. I hope they had fixed that. I hope that they have. In Hong Kong, law enforcement breathalyzers stopped working. This is on New Year's of all days oh, as well. Yeah. And in Norway, a woman who was 105 years old was offered a spot at a daycare center because the system only registered the last two digits of her birth year. Nice. Pretty funny. Yeah. But as we've said many a time in this episode, by and large, the Y2K problem ended up not being much of a problem at all. Mm -hmm. As Gary Beach, publisher of CIO Magazine, predicted, quote, 
the bottom line outlook is that there are going to be Y2K problems and maybe 85% of them are going to be annoyances that are fixable in a day. The probability of having a catastrophic event happen near you is very low, unquote. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly how the Y2K problem can be summed up. An annoyance and perhaps a bit of a joke. Before we wrap it up, this, I loved this. This is great. It (laughs) takes me back. It reminds me a lot and I'm going to draw a little like parallel to how people are fearful of Mm -hmm. um, quote unquote AI, even Mm -hmm. though it's not Mm -hmm. actually artificial intelligence that Mm -hmm. they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of reminds me of that. Like, are there actual risks and threats to these things that we're talking about? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's things we need to consider, Mm -hmm. but I fear, I feel like there's so much fear mongering about Mm -hmm. it as well, that it reminds me a lot of this. Definitely. And I think, that is a perfect example but as i was looking at the like stocking up on stuff apocalyptic side of it mm-hmm. there was so many parallels between the year 2000 and the year 2020 oh, also where it's like man i remember going to walmart and like not being able to buy a pad like yeah. i was like really yeah i can't buy pads you bitches all bought out all the pads <laughs> leave some pads for me leave some pads <laughs> i'm not asking for toilet paper i'm asking for pads yeah yeah there's, I mean, these things, man, they can run wild. You yeah. read like one article and... Well, and the thing is that sucks like with our marketplace too is like there's a, gr- a small, very small group of people that react and or even overreact yes. in some cases and buy out all the pads or buy out yes. all the toilet paper. And then because they've taken so much of it, it's like a, a snowball effect. Yes. Like mm-hmm. it... They did that, and then the next group of people are like, oh, toilet paper's low. Maybe I actually should. Mm-hmm. People that normally wouldn't stock up exactly. are like, oh, frick, like maybe yeah. I do need to stock up on it, grab it, and then it like trickles down to like 100%. It just goes grows bigger and bigger, and not just with the actual like stuff, but with the fear. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think that's very much what happened with the Y2K bug, the Y2K problem, Yeah, if it so should be called. Yes. An annoyance bit of a joke. I'm a bit of a joke. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. As always, we will share the picture. <gasps> oh, there was an article. Oh, yeah. We will share that one picture that we discussed on the episode to our Instagram and all sources used to put together the episode can be found on our website, which is hashtag history pod.com. Subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you use. Share about us with your family and friends and then give us a rate and review. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast. And come join us over on Patreon where for as little as $1 a month, you can help support our books and booze supply. You also get access to some behind the scenes content and automatic 15% off all merchandise. And we will mail you cards and stickers. Rachel will mail you cards and stickers. I will do that. I'm on maternity leave. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Beautiful. So good. <laughs> so good. So good. So good. Fort Worth called Cheaper Than a Dozen Incorporated. Cheaper than dirt. Cheaper than the dozen. Cheaper, cheaper by the, 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 the cheaper, cheaper by, by the, the dozen. I just said it wrong all five times. <laughs> <laughs>